guys so much for that. It was a good picture of the church being family. And so thank you again. Well, today we're going to pick back up in this series called Why Love the Church. And this is our third sermon in this series. And throughout this series, that's the question that I've been posing to you is why love the church? My assumption is that we should love the church, but the church can be hard to love and difficult to love. So why love the church? Why be so committed to the church? In the first message two weeks ago, the reason I gave you for loving the church is because God, who is a communal God, has created you for community. In Genesis 1, we learn that the triune God is a communal being, and He's created us to mirror Him. He's wired you for community, and His plan to restore you into His image is to do so in and through community. Then last week, I gave you a second reason for loving the church, and that is because God is invested in the church. God is at work in and through the church. And we looked at a very difficult church, the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians, we saw that even in a church that has a lot of problems, God still gave them His grace. He was still invested there. He was still at work there. God is faithful. He does not abandon His church. So why should we? So we've already unpacked some good and some Godward reasons for why we should love the church, but if I could only give you one reason why you should love the church, it's the reason that I'm going to show you from Scripture today. So go ahead, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is a letter in the New Testament, so it's towards the end in your Bible. And today's message is not going to take long, because I think that this reason is just a knockout reason, and so I'm not going to belabor it. As you're getting to Ephesians, I'll I'll remind you of where we're going here in the next couple weeks. Next week is going to be kind of like an appendix to this message series on why I love the church. I'm going to hopefully give you one specific way that you can practically love the church, how you can then love the church. And I believe that it is probably the most important message for you to hear during this season in which later this month you will have a new pastor I believe that next week's message is the best way that I can love this church and that I can serve you before Pastor Michael gets here. Then after that, the next Sunday will be February 17th, and that's Michael's installation service. And I look forward to being here with you during that time. It is going to be a time of celebration, a time of excitement. This is an exciting time at First Baptist Eichard, and so I'm looking forward uh, to that. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's pick up in verse 25. There Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, so Ephesians is a book about the church. Ephesians is a book about how the gospel shapes community. You've heard me mention Ephesians 2 over the last month several times because there Paul lays it out so clearly that when God calls us to himself, he calls us into his family. Another way to say that is that when God's salvation is applied to you personally, you become a member of the community of God's people. Okay, so being a follower of Jesus is a personal matter, but it's not a private matter. It's personal, but it's not private. When you love Jesus and when you're following him, you're going to read scripture on your own. You're going to pray on your own because it's our privilege to be able to do that. But God never intended for you to follow Jesus all by yourself, all alone. Discipleship happens in community. So, big picture of the book of Ephesians. Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians talking about the gospel and how it establishes us into the community, which is the church. He then spends the last half of the letter, chapters 4, 5, and 6, talking about relationships. Okay, Talking about the implications of the gospel in our relationships. And so big picture, we see that the church is a community that's created by the gospel, and it's created for the gospel. And so in chapter 5, we read Paul addressing husbands and wives. And he's telling them how their relationship is to be shaped by the gospel, how they are to relate to one another because of the gospel. And so Ephesians chapter 5 is a classic passage that Christians go to when they want to read what the Bible has to say about marriage. When I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple, I'm going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 5 with them. So the upfront, kind of in your face, don't miss this command of the passage that we just read is husbands love your wives. So to each husband in here, love your wife. This morning, I get a text message from a buddy of mine saying that his wife went into labor last night. He'd been at the hospital since about 8 p.m., and he was starving. He was like, bro, can you bring me some Bojangles? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be there. So I went there with him, and, and he was like a zombie, and uh, gave it to him. And, and this buddy of mine is just uh, he's a great friend. We, we typically kind of hang out maybe once a week, get together once a week or something. And he often asks me, he says, Brian, have you been sweet to your wife? I'm so thankful that he constantly reminds me that. Brian, have you been sweet to your wife this week? Because I need that constant reminder. Sometimes I have, sometimes I haven't. Sometimes I'm like, if you want the real scoop on things, you just should ask her. Right? So, so husbands, have you been sweet to your wife this week? The problem is that we don't understand what love really entails, do we? We have all these mixed thoughts about what love really means, what love actually looks like. And we bring our own definitions of love with us when we look at our relationships and when we evaluate them. For instance, 
you may feel that a person loves you when they are praising you with words of affirmation. But sometimes, love is going to correct you with words and going to challenge you to change. You may feel that a person loves you when they buy you gifts. But maybe that person really just loves themselves and wants you to be impressed with them. Do you see that? See, husbands aren't just called to make their wives feel loved and however their wife defines love. Right? And, and husbands, if, if you say, well, I love my wife. I told her that when we got married. If anything changes, I'll let her know. If that's your mentality, right, then, then you don't get it either. Okay? So sometimes we have these wrong misconceptions of what love really entails. And Paul lays it out for us. He says, husbands are to love their wives as Christ modeled love for us. So why all this talk about love and marriage on a sermon about loving the church? Well, it's because true love was demonstrated for us by Christ and his love for the church. So if you want to know what true love entails, what true love looks like, then look at how Jesus has loved the church. See, true love is not this abstract feeling or emotion or concept. It's concrete. It's specific. It shows itself and entails it with service and love and sacrifice. And so Paul is pushing husbands and wives to reflect Christ's love. He's pushing marriages to be about portraying Christ's love for the church more than about this pursuit of personal happiness. Christ's love for the church is where we see real love. And he's pushing marriages to mirror that. So there are a lot of parallels between marriage and the church. And that's why at the beginning of this series, I commented by saying that love for the church is comparable to love of a good marriage. Loving the church isn't just about getting excited to get together once a week, but it's about commitment. Loving the church is about commitment to the welfare and the well-being of others in the church. Loving this church is commitment to this church in good times and in bad times. Loving the church weathers the storms and the seasons. And why should you do that? Why should you be so committed to the church? It's because Jesus loves the church. Okay, that's my reason. That's the point. If you're taking notes, maybe jot down this to remind you later this week. Love what Jesus loves. We should all love what Jesus loves. That's the greatest reason that I can give you for why you should love the church. It's because Jesus loves the church. Followers of Jesus love what Jesus loves, and followers of Jesus are committed to what Jesus is committed to. Isn't it interesting that in all of Scripture, God has chosen the church to be described as Christ's bride? Think about that for a minute. Men, think about your bride, your wife, how much you love them and cherish them. My bride is the most important person to me on this earth. If you don't like my wife, I'm going to have a really hard time liking you, okay? But if you show love to my wife, if you show respect and honor to my wife, then, 
that is just going to bring joy to me because you are loving who I love, what I love. So church, love what Jesus loves. Okay, so if you're a follower of Jesus and he's your leader and he's the one that you believe is the most worthy for you to live your life for, you've surrendered control of your life to him, you've given it over to him and say, Jesus, have your way in me. If that's you, if you're a follower of Jesus, consider what Jesus gave his life for. It says there in Ephesians, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you have given your life to Jesus, and Jesus gave his life up for the church, then how can you say church is no big deal? How can you say that church is unimportant? That you really don't need to commit to the church? If you have given your life to Jesus and he gave his life to the church, how can you say church is not important? Now some of you might say, well, I do think church is important, but I want you to remember that your practice indicates what you really believe. How are you demonstrating what you say you believe about the church? When we think of the cross and Jesus' death, we think of salvation. I think of my salvation, my forgiveness of my sins. And rightly so, because in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And each and every one of you can echo that. Okay, Jesus died for you and you and you and you and you and everyone in this room. Jesus has died for and Jesus loves. Jesus lived the perfect life that you failed to live. And Jesus died the death that you deserved to die. And if you place your trust in him, you will be forgiven. Guilt washed away, the blemishes removed. But if you're banking on anything else, being a good person, going to church, having a moral life, having right knowledge, then you will not receive eternal life. Jesus gave his life for you, for your good, and will you not Give your life to him. The cross of Jesus is the only way that we are rescued from our broken selves and from this broken world that we live in. Jesus has died for you. But what we learn here in Ephesians chapter 5 is that Jesus didn't die just for you. Because it says that he also died for the church. Christ shed his blood, gave his life for the church so that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle. So not only did Jesus die to restore you, he died to restore the church. Okay, so if you take a wide lens view of scripture, we see that God made this world good. But we messed it up when we decided to do things our own way. But God still loves this world. He still loves you. And so he's not just throwing it all in the wastebasket. His plan is to restore you and this creation. There's hope 
of that that we read about throughout Scripture. And then at the end of Scripture, the very last book, we see that that will be fulfilled. We see that God will restore us to himself and his creation as he had planned it to be from the beginning. And the event in history that all of that restoration hinges upon is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so unless you see that your personal salvation is like a thread in this grand piece of fabric that God is working throughout all Scripture, unless you see your own personal salvation in light of the salvation of all of God's people and the restoration of His creation, you are minimizing the value of Jesus' death. Yes, Jesus died for you, and you can be eternally grateful for that. He also died to restore this entire earth. This week, when studying and preparing for this sermon, I came across some quotes by the pastor Richard Baxter. Now, Richard Baxter, he lived in England in the 17th century, so he's, he's long dead and gone. But he was pushing Christians to, to look at one another in light of Jesus' sacrifice, in light of Jesus' death. Right? He, he's, he's asking us to consider each person in the church as also being those who Jesus died for. So I want to paraphrase in my own words, this quote from Richard Baxter. He says, Do we not think that each other is worthy of our care and service when Christ himself died for that person? If you have become dull and careless and passive in your love for the people in this church, then imagine Christ saying this to you, okay? Just imagine Christ saying this to you. Maybe close your eyes to imagine this. Did I die for them, and yet you won't care for their well-being? Were they worth my own blood, but are not worth you exerting a little labor to help? Did I not come down from heaven to earth, seeking and saving the lost, and yet you will not go next door, down the street, or across town to seek them? What Richard Baxter is doing is he's asking us to compare our love for one another's with Christ's love for those very same people. How much have you put in to loving one another compared to how much Christ has put into loving these people? Richard Baxter then writes, and I quote directly, Every time that we look upon our congregations, let us believingly remember that they are the purchase of Christ's blood and therefore should be regarded by us with the deepest interest and most tender affection. When you consider one another in this room, do you see them with deep interest and tender affection? You know, our tendency is to look at the church and to like what is attractive about the church to us, but to shun the things that are not. Right? We evaluate the church based on how attractive it is to us. And, and viewing the church has been compared, in this way, has been compared to the way that people view a cruise ship. Okay? I've never been on a cruise. Um, God did not create me with scales and fins and gills, so I like land. And, and I easily get sick 
when I get too far away from land, right? So I've never been on a cruise, and um, I'm just scared that I'll get really motion sickness and it'll be all just a waste of money. So I've never been on a cruise, um, and, and that means nothing to you, and that's besides the point. But people evaluate cruises by asking, was it carefree? You know, did, did I have a good time? Were, were there no problems? Was it smooth sailing? Was the service good? Was the staff nice to me? Were they attentive to my needs and wants? Were the staff available? Was the cruise clean? Was it entertaining? Were there fun activities for the kids? Was it comfortable and not too crowded? Was it convenient? People also evaluate the church with the same type of questions. Did I enjoy the service? Was the music good? Was the pastor easy to listen to? Does it meet my needs? Is there something for the children? Is it attractive to me? But perhaps a better way to compare the church is not to a cruise ship, but to a battleship. Okay, so think about a battleship. When you're thinking about a battleship, you're thinking about the Navy. Is it on a clear and noble mission? Is that ship directed by clear lines of authority? Are crew members equipped to succeed? Are they able to contribute in significant ways? You don't board on a battleship for a vacation. You board a battleship because you have a mission. You have a duty. You have a responsibility. You have a purpose. And the church is much more like a battleship than a cruise ship. So how do you view the church? Are you viewing it more like a cruise ship and how it can serve you? Or are you viewing it like a battleship and asking, how can I serve the church? You know, battleships, they're imposing and they're, they're mighty. But they're not attractive like a cruise ship and that you want to spend your next vacation on one, right? So here's my question for you. Must you find the church attractive before you commit to the church? Is that what Jesus did? Did, did Jesus look upon the church and say, wow, that, that, the church is just so attractive to him that he just wanted to give his life for the church? Well, let's look back in this passage. I want you to notice the order of Christ's love. Picking up back in verse 25, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, my hope is that you come here to hear what God has to say, right? So you look at these verses, and you tell me, does it say that Jesus gave himself up for the church because the church was already so beautiful and attractive without stain or wrinkle? Does it say that? No. It doesn't say that Jesus gave his life because the church was in this condition. He says that his love came first, And then, because of his love, he is going to cleanse the church and present the church to him in all its splendor. Christ's sacrifice came before the church's splendor. 
Christ loved you and died for you while you were still a rebelling enemy. We did nothing to make us attractive to God. That might have made a little more sense to us, right? But our sins were atrocious to God, and yet Jesus gave his life for you. I hope you're beginning to see that this is the most marvelous, this is the most amazing love there has ever been. What if Jesus had not been willing to give his life until the church was perfect? What if Jesus waited until the church became beautiful and attractive in his eyes? We would all be without hope. So if you were to love what Jesus loves, I would also say you should love as Jesus loves. And Jesus loves even when that love is not guaranteed to be returned. Jesus loves even what is not perfect. What is a very little benefit to himself. So if your hesitation to loving and committing to the church is because of all the blemishes in the church, of all the, the faults you see within the church, I ask you to look at the church through the perspective of Christ's sacrifice. If you look at the church through the perspective of Christ's sacrifice, through Jesus' death, then you will have deep interest and tender affection for the church. You will have love for the church because you love what Jesus loves and you love as Jesus loves. So are you here to be served or are you here to serve? Are you looking for what the church can offer you or are you considering what you can offer to the church? Are you out of here if things start to get choppy? Or are you going to weather the storms and seasons? Now, understand, I'm, I'm not saying that you better join this church, buy your burial plot, and be buried here, okay? I'm, I'm not trying to create a prearranged marriage between you and First Baptist Iker. And I'm not saying that there are never times when it is not best to actually leave a church and go to another one. So don't get all judgy on the people who have left this church in the past few years. But what I am trying to do is I am strongly pushing against our cultural tendency to be self-sufficient, to be independent and consumer-driven. I'm pushing against that tendency and this, this what's-in-it-for-me mentality that we tend to carry around. Because Scripture pushes against that. The Bible points us to our need for Christ, our dependence upon Him. The Bible pushes us for our need for one another. And the Bible also calls us to give of ourselves, to sacrifice, to die to ourselves for the well-being of one another. Love what Jesus loves. Love as Jesus loves. So why love the church? Well, here are the three reasons that we have uncovered in this series. Number one, love the church because God made you for community. And his plan to restore you is in and through community. Number two, love the church 
because God is invested in the church. He's at work in the church. He's faithful to the church. And then number three, what we've seen today, love the church because Jesus loves the church so much so that he gave his life for the church. Do you love the church? What I want to do now um, is lead us in a time of, of corporate prayer where we actually pray together. And so I know this might be a little awkward, it might be a little funny, but, but we're God's people. We're all on level ground here. We're all the recipients of his grace. None of us are here because God picked us for how attractive we were to him. But he's chosen us merely because of his grace. And, and so what I want us to do is I want you to just spend a few minutes doing what people call popcorn prayers. Have you heard of popcorn prayers? Okay. So I'm not asking. We're going to pray aloud. And we're going to pray together. And there's not really going to be any set order. I'm not going to call anybody up here to pray with a microphone. But when you feel prompted to pray, then, then I encourage you to, to pray where you are. You might want to stand up so other people can hear you. But remember, you're not praying for the well-being of others. You, you're, you're praying to God. You're not praying to be heard by, by each of us. But popcorn prayers... Are, are prayers that are short, one-sentence prayers, maybe two sentences, okay? And, and this isn't the time to pray for your neighbor's aunt's cousin's dog, right? And this isn't the time to, to, to pray for even health issues that are, are in your family but this is a time that I want us to pray for this church. Okay? So we're going to spend this time praying for one another, for First Baptist Iker, asking God to work here in us and among us. If God prompts you with a, a verse of Scripture, with just a Bible verse, I would encourage you to use this time to just stand up and read that for all of us to hear. When God prompts you to pray something, don't be shy. Stand up, pray out loud. Sit back down. If, if five minutes later he prompts you to pray something else, stand back up and pray that. But short, one sentence, two sentence prayers. And after that time, uh, I'll close us with a prayer. And when I close with prayer, I ask the worship team to come back up here and lead us in our time of response. So, let's pray together. I'll start. Father, kingdom. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Maybe have a seat. Fred has our announcements. Fred, come and lead us. a privilege uh, to spend the last couple days with your college students and our high school seniors at Southeastern. Uh, what a great conference. Uh, it's primarily for college kids, but I would encourage you to each, if you have the ability, to go to the Southeastern website and listen to the podcast. 
they are online. Uh, plan on listening to them again. It was very moving. They, the topic uh, of this conference was the gospel of missions. And I, I just have to testify this morning because Lena handed me a note and, and what is the biggest part of it is mission. And, you know, you have to speak when, when God keeps bringing things up. You have to talk about it and get it out there. Uh, he convicts you in that way. Uh, so it, it was kind of crazy. Um, something Dr. Aiken shared uh, that really burdened my heart uh, as far as missionaries, and you're getting ready to see why I bring this up. Um, in the journeyman program uh, for the missionaries, which is typically young college students who take a summer and go abroad, uh, the ratio of men to women is one to five. And I felt burdened by that because I'm a man. I'm in that lower ratio. Why are we sending women to countries that are more dangerous than anything we know and they're willing to go? Why aren't the men going? So uh, I just had to share that with you. Uh, tonight, Women on Mission meeting, 5 o'clock, uh, get together and, and talk about some things coming up, such as the Hobby and Scrapbooking Night, which is next Friday from 6 to 11, and Saturday from 9 to 4, along with a prayer breakfast next Saturday morning at 8 o'clock to pray about missions. Next Sunday is a family mission night, February 10th at 6 p.m., and uh, we're going to get the guys involved in this. She has a plan, uh, which I'm really liking. Uh, the women are going to be making rice dishes. They're going to talk about China and, and some other opportunities. But there's going to be a men's dessert competition. Does that sound right on? Uh, I hate that Alan's not here this morning. I think he won the last one that, that uh, was done. So there will be three different segments. There will be the adult men. There will be the teens, and there will be a children's table, and each will be judged according to their age. So men, love your wife. Rub on her a little bit this week. Get some great dessert recipes. Try five, ten times till you perfect it. Bring it in and let us eat it. Uh, and I think you would consider that good. Um, let's see, what else we got going on? Barbecue tickets coming up March 8th and 9th. Uh, Mike orders. Where is he? Somewhere right there. He doesn't move very far away. Uh, he has tickets. Uh, he will be more than happy to issue those to him, as well as Ned, who has is willing and waiting for all of you to come badger him about signing up to do something to help the youth out. Uh, we had an incredible youth trip last week. Or not last week. Last year, it seems like last week. Uh, and, and we thank him for taking that on again this year, but he is going to need each and every one of your help um, to make this thing go smooth. Uh, we don't need to burden him with this task alone, so there should be a line as soon as I get done speaking right here. So come and see Ned. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Tuesday summer camps, Audrey is working on that. Uh, I see a note in here, there's a covered dish lunch Tuesday, February 12th for the Wisdom Walkers at 1130 out in the Modulars. Um, 
Come spend some time with them. Encourage them and thank them for their wisdom in our body. Uh, of course, Pastor Brian spoke about the installation service on the 17th. And as far as I know, one other note, uh, celebration of life today. Uh, Audrey's mother passed away this week, if you had not heard that. And it is a celebration because we know that she is with the Lord. Uh, so if you haven't spoke to her, just go give her some words of encouragement uh, and maybe pray with her. The receiving of friends is at 2 o'clock today at Harris Chapel Baptist in Hudson. Uh, if you need directions, she is here. Uh, the graveside funeral will be at 3 o'clock there at the same property. Uh, Pastor Carl Johnson will be officiating that ceremony. So uh, it's a good opportunity to show your love and, and care for one of our members. Anything else? seem to go over better than anything else. Just need some cakes. Please, no pies because they're a little messier, but cakes, brownies, uh, cookies, cupcakes, anything like that would be greatly appreciated. We, like I said, we do 12 to 1,500 plates. I need 12 to 1,500 desserts. And guys, it's not me. I just sort of take it on and organize it, but it, this could not happen without y'all's help. Y'all are the ones that does this and makes it accessible for the youth. So don't think that I just sort of ramrod the beginning of it and it just takes off. I could not do it without everybody's help. This is something God does to help the youth so they can go to camp and use the money for whatever the youth needs to use it for. So they need all the help they can get. So. And it couldn't come on a better day after today's sermon, right? Right? <laughs> Marvin? Martha Wilson did pass away. I know that uh, Josh and them were traveling and had quite an experience, but uh, I'm assuming he made it last night and, and got to be with him. Excellent. That, that was good. So remember them this week. Anything else? Well, I love you guys. I hope that you can uh, go to your life application group this morning and get more out of uh, what the message was this morning so you can apply it in your life and uh, we can move forward serving his kingdom. Have a great day, guys.